This morning, we are going to continue in our message series that we've called For Such a Time as This, as we've been in the book of Esther. We're actually going to finish this 10-chapter book today. And I want to thank Pastor Janice, uh, our youth pastor, for bringing the word last week and brought us through some of the exciting uh, parts of this amazing, amazing story from the Old Testament. The book of Esther is found uh, right, uh, you know, if you're, if you open your Bible right to the middle and you'll, you'll land in the book of Psalms and you go a little bit to the left and uh, you'll get to the book of Job and then to the left of that is Esther, just 10 little chapters. And then we're going to finish up that. We're going to pick up in chapter 8 today. You'll recall last week, uh, Janice uh, took us through um, some pretty amazing things happened as uh, our, our friends uh, Mordecai and Esther, his cousin, the one he's responsible for, kind of did the big reveal. Uh, Haman, this kind of wicked guy, he was the prime minister, had uh, navigated a, a way to get an edict that would allow everyone throughout the Persian Empire. In fact, I've got a little picture of the, the Persian Empire here, so if you can kind of see what it is. This is following the Babylonian Empire, and so we're talking about Right now we're at about 500 years before Christ, and I've circled there the, the capital city, Susa. And right in that place, which would be uh, Iran today, uh, you've got this, uh, this edict that's been, that, that's said all Jewish people throughout the entire empire can be wiped out. You can kill them and take their stuff. It's a pogrom, and, um, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Well, uh, that was all kind of, made possible by this wicked guy named Haman who really had it out for Mordecai, Esther's cousin. And last week we, we saw as Esther kind of were found a way to reveal to the king what was happening and reveal that she herself was a Jew and that she would be killed. And the king would not stand for that. And he had Haman executed. In fact, had him impaled on a, on a device that was meant to be for Mordecai. But the quick uh, turn of tables and suddenly, well, that's as much as graphic as I want to get on that one today. You can read the story for yourself in chapter 6 and 7. I want to pick it up in chapter 8 of Esther. Will you follow with me? As Esther chapter 8 verse 1 says this. On that same day, King Xerxes gave the property of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. And then Mordecai was brought before the king, for Esther had told the king how they were related. The king took off his signet ring, which he had taken back from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's property. Then Esther went again before the king, falling down at his feet and begging him with tears to stop the evil plot devised by Haman the Agagite against the Jews. And again, the king held out the gold scepter to Esther, and so she rose and stood before him. And Esther said, if it please the king, and if I found favor with him, and if he thinks it's right, and if I'm pleasing to him, let there be a decree that reverses the order of Haman, the son of uh, Hamadath of the Agagite, who ordered that Jews throughout all the king's provinces should be destroyed. For how can I endure to see my people and my family slaughtered and destroyed? And then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, I have given Esther the property of Haman. He has been impaled on a pole because he tried to destroy the Jews. Now go ahead and send a message to the Jews in the king's name, telling them whatever they want whatever you want, and seal it with the king's signet ring. But remember that whatever has already been written in the king's name and sealed with the signet ring can never be revoked. So what's happening in chapter 8 here, just to kind of summarize, after Haman is uh, is killed, 
Uh, Esther is granted all of his property. We know from the previous chapters he was exceedingly wealthy. And so Esther has suddenly now become very rich. Uh, she has Mordecai watch her stuff. And then uh, she she asks the king to reverse this order. But the king says, I can't. What's written is written. You can't take back. I mean, it's an irrevocable edict from the king. But he says, hey, come up with something else. And so Mordecai uh, is creative enough that he creates uh, an edict. And what he's going to say in the edict and the things that we following what we read, he's going to say the Jews are legally allowed to defend themselves. It's actually allowed to defend themselves, kill their opponents and take their property uh, from them. And so remember a few weeks ago, if you're watching this, you I said, this passage, this whole book's going to create some problems for us. This is what I'm talking about. These are uncomfortable uh, things here. So what happens is is, uh, is that's what's going to happen. And so uh, Mordecai sends a, a note, I mean, uh, an edict, and it's it's carried to throughout the the, uh, the kingdom of what's going to happen. And, and Mordecai is now made prime minister. Well, uh, let's move on to chapter 9. Is that as kind of a summary of that? Chapter 9 begins this. So on March 7th, the two decrees of the king were put into effect. And on that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews who were who overpowered their enemies. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the king's provinces to attack anyone who tried to harm them. But no one could take a stand against them for everyone was afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the highest officers, the governors, and the royal officials helped the Jews for fear of Mordecai. For Mordecai had been promoted in the king's palace and his fame spread throughout all the provinces as he became more and more powerful. Yes, if the prime minister is now a Jew, you're definitely not going to side against them. And so the Jews, verse 5, went ahead on the appointed day and struck down their enemies with the sword. And they killed and annihilated their enemies and did as they pleased with those who hated them. And the fortress of Susa itself, the Jews killed 500 men. They also killed uh, the 10 sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they did not take any plunder. And now, just to summarize the rest of that chapter, the king hears about it. He's like, wow, that was... That was a lot, 500 people just in my city. And then uh, and then we've got, you know, he, he's going to get word there's 75,000 more throughout the empire were killed in a single day. And then uh, Esther comes back and says, hey, uh, I have another request. Um, and and he's like, whoa, uh, okay, what, what, what do you want? Uh, whatever you want. And she says, uh, I want a second day in our capital city to keep going on this. And I want to take ten Haman's ten sons, and I want to put the put their dead bodies on display. And the king says, "Go for it, do it." And so that's what they do. And I think it's another three hundred uh, men are killed in the city of of Susa. And then from there, uh, we just have that uh, what's noted a couple of times that the Jews take no plunder. What's not clear is if they took any of the property, as they were allowed to do. But it's stated twice that they took. No plunder from them. And so at the end of the, the chapter, the last half of chapter 9 and into chapter 10, we see that Mordecai now institutes a festival called Purim. It's continued, it's celebrated today. The Jews celebrated it even now. We just celebrated it last month. 
a festival of Purim. It's a great feast, uh, lots of food, gift-giving, uh, remembering and celebrating this uh, traumatic and major event in Jewish history. Purim is just the word that comes from, it's the ancient word for the basically throwing of dice, casting of lots, which is what Haman did to determine the best day. What's the best day to do this? And so he cast the Purim, the lots, the, the basically throwing dice to determine a day, and that's what it's named after. Well, so that's that's chapter chapters 8, 9, and 10. And like I said, it's a little bit problematic. It's violent, uh, this, this book. Uh, it seems like we end up celebrating the death of, of the enemies of the Jews. Uh, and that's a little bit of a problem for us as New Testament believers. Uh, we know that Jesus told us to, you know, turn the other cheek and to, to love our enemies. Um, and then you, you've got this whole, you know, previous chapters, the whole setup for Haman's desire, demise was, to me it seems a little devious, a little tricky how, how Esther brings that all through and, so yes, there's some issues in the book, but but let's be real about this. At the same time, we are talking about a very different time in history, 2,500 years ago, right? And if the Jews had not been permitted to defend themselves, think about this, if they'd not been permitted to defend themselves, the bloodshed would have been much, much greater. So, you know, I think an argument can be made for for that um, self-defense in that particularly in that time in that place that's a bigger conversation for another time the upside to all this is that a couple of otherwise anonymous humans ended up making a massive difference for good right you've got you know two and a half millennia later we're talking about these people esther uh, also named hadassah and and mordecai these are ordinary jews they were pretty well assimilated into uh, Persian life and in the Persian capital. You know, they had spent a hundred, roughly a hundred years away from their homeland as, you know, through their family lines. They're, they're Persians for practical purposes, but they're Jews. They're just regular folks, ordinary people making a difference. And it still happens. I mean, just think about this, ordinary people making a difference. Think about a Rosa Parks or a Martin Luther King Jr., folks that were Pretty ordinary and yet made a huge difference. What about a guy named Jonas Salk? Uh, you know, invented the polio vaccine, saved millions and millions of lives. Just a regular scientist guy that, that did that. There's, there's a guy named John Hetrick. You've probably never heard of John Hetrick, an ordinary guy who patented the automobile airbag in 1951. Every car that you drive in today has multiple airbags to save your life should you be in a crash. Well, you can thank a guy named John Hetrick. Of course, he was ignored until the patent ran out in 1971 and the automobile companies could make a killing without paying him, so he didn't benefit from it. But that's that's, a, that's another story from another time, right? My point is, my point is that ordinary people, someone very much like you, someone very much like me, regardless of age, regardless of your social status, regardless of any of those things, can make a big difference. So the, I want to talk about how do you make a difference? How do you make a difference? Because Mordecai and Esther do that, and I want to talk about how did they make a difference. And for Mordecai, it starts way back in chapter 4, at verse 1. Look at this verse with me. When Mordecai learned about all that he had, all that had been done, right, against his people, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. That's chapter 4, verse 1. 
of Esther. Think about this. To make a difference, here's where it starts. You need to be humble like Mordecai. You need to be humble like Mordecai. This guy was wearing burlap, right? He's throwing ashes on his head. He's making a public scene of his misery. So much so that Esther is embarrassed. We, we covered that a few weeks ago. She sends clothes out to him to, to try to get him to, to clean up and stop making such a scene. Right? That didn't stop him. He, he humbled himself and he could have, I think Mordecai could have taken a more professional approach, right? He could have worked as contacts in the government. He had plenty of them. He was a fairly well-respected official already at that point. Uh, he could have gotten a message to King Xerxes. He said, Hey King, uh, I'm the guy who saved your life from those assassins. You can read about that back in chapter two or three. Right? But instead, Mordecai begins in burlap. Right? Sackcloth. And, and, and by the end of chapter 8, listen to this. By the end of chapter 8, he has the honor of the royal robes, he has the authority of the king's ring, and he has the power of the prime minister's position. Incredible change. Think about this. The honor of royal robes, authority of the ring, and power of the prime minister's position. Honor, authority, power. Maybe that reminds you of someone else that humbled himself. Jesus, he's what he did for you. He publicly humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And as a result, God elevated him to the highest place of honor, authority, and power. And Jesus, today as your Mordecai, he comes to deliver you, to bring freedom to you, to advocate for you, to to make a difference in your life like no one else can or ever will. With his honor, authority, and power. Don't forget that. You gotta let him in. You gotta be humble. Like Mordecai, to begin. So you can make a difference. Like Mordecai. What about Esther? Well, to make a difference, I think you need to be bold like Esther. She's bold. Remember that until she kind of pointed her finger at Haman, this is the guy, this is the enemy. Until she'd done that, there's no indication that she had revealed her ethnicity. To, certainly not to the king and not to anybody else. And she was taking a major risk when she, when she did that. And uh, not only that, she, uh, she approached the king more than once. It wasn't really permitted. And she was asking for the king's favor. She was bold. Even the two banquets, there's two banquets, you could read about that. It's what Janice covered last week. The two banquets that she held for the king and for Haman. That was a risky move. They didn't need to show up. Uh, you know, King Xerxes could have been offended that she didn't kind of make her request known at the first banquet, but made him come back for a second banquet. Um, she was really bold taking risks uh, for the benefit of her people. And then given the opportunity, as bold Esther made a bold request more than one. First, she asked, you know, for a reversal of the king's edict, which was impossible, we learned. And then then she, but that's led to Mordecai's edict of self-defense. And then she asked for an extension of the action on the, the next day in the capital city. Listen, friends, it's so easy to go with the flow. It is so easy to just not really think for yourself, to, to just coalesce, go along with majority opinion, to, to not ask for what is needed, to not speak up, to, to not stand up for justice and for righteousness, to live in fear, to live in self-protection all the time, instead of looking for ways to make a difference. And, and sometimes it's the smallest thing that can make a difference. It really doesn't even have to be a big thing all the time. This this past week, I was talking with a friend of mine, he owns a small business, and he was just explaining to me just how he's just hanging on by the 
thinnest thread. And, and, and just the stress in his life and the stress on his marriage and the stress in his home because of it. He's laid off all his employees and so he's, he's concerned for his employees. Um, it was tough. And I thought, what am I, how, what can I do? What, what can I do for him? All I could do was spend some money at his business and I gave him a hug. And you can call the cops if you want. Um, but I, I didn't know what else to do. And he was just so grateful for that. He just needed some, some friendship, encouragement. It maybe made it a little difference for that day, but it's making a difference. And, uh, uh, and so whether it's something big or something really small like that, be bold like Esther. And here's what I love about Esther. She, right, we talked about her hiding her ethnicity and how she had blended in so perfectly. But in the crisis, this orphaned woman came out loud and strong for her people. And it wasn't just, gee, those people need some help, but, you know, there's nothing really I can do. It was so deeply personal. She pleaded with Xerxes. I've got a verse here for you. Chapter 8, verse 6. She pleaded with the king and she says, For how can I endure to see my people and my family slaughtered and destroyed? Uh, you know, her life had been spared. She's actually exceedingly wealthy now. Like, you might just think, ah, well, I'll be okay. But no, she was so burdened for her people. And I would say it this way. If you're going to make a difference, you got to know who you're standing for. And I know my grammar's not right that. You could say, know for whom you stand. Uh, in other words, for whom do you intercede? Who do, who do you pray for? Who do you take action for? Who would you defend, even if it, even if it meant losing Friends or being publicly criticized. Who do you stand for? Who are you pleading for to the king of kings? Maybe it's wayward kids or, or grandkids or, or it's a neighbor or it's a coworker that you just long for them to come to Christ. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a parent who has so far not given their life to Christ Jesus. Who do you stand for? And I, I just find this one personally very challenging for me, you know, to keep praying for people who are in great spiritual peril. Uh, you know, will I be clear and intentional and deliberate about who I'm interceding for? Esther did not shrink back from standing up for her own people. I've got a couple more ways that these guys show us how, how to make a difference. Um, Esther teaches us, the fourth one is Esther teaches us, uh, make no compromise. Make no compromise. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, like I said, I think she could have she could have just stopped at the point where her life was saved. Uh, she could have taken a safer, more political, uh, a more negotiated approach. She could have, she could have tried to work out a deal with Haman and say, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to kill you. I just want you to be nicer, right? She could have done something like that. Um, I, you know, she could have found a way to sort of soften the blow of the pogrom. But, but this whole episode, it gets, just gets bloody. And, and Esther recognized that negotiating with Haman would have been a deal with the devil. And that never ends well. And she couldn't compromise the needs of her people to, to somehow play nice with evil. Living in sin, but, but trying to be faithful and righteous. So you can't, can't do both. And so self-defense was the best way forward, even though people did die. You know, Maybe sometimes you feel like you're compromising. That in your own life, there's, there's lots of compromise. You're, 
You're, you're living like everyone else in the world. You look just like your coworkers or your, 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 your family members that don't follow Jesus. And, and yet you're also trying to be a faithful Christian and you're, you feel the tension all the time. That's called compromise. And you'll know, you'll feel it if you're compromised. It's like that old saying that, you know, I'm too Christian to enjoy sinning and I'm sinning too much to enjoy Christ. Compromise is misery and Esther shows us there's no compromise. If you're going to make a difference, you've got to make no compromise. And the last thing that Mordecai teaches us is to remember the wins. This one's really positive. I like this one a lot. Remember the wins. Once everything had transpired, the people were saved without plundering their attackers, as we mentioned, right? Just self-defense. Mordecai called for an annual festival, the Feast of Purim. That's remembering the win. They, they still celebrate it, as I mentioned, uh, usually around early, early mid-March. Uh, late February. And, and, and there, there may have been moments, I think you could probably think of moments of spiritual breakthrough in your life. Uh, maybe it was the day you were baptized or you, a healing you experienced or you, you led someone to faith in Christ and you need to celebrate those wins, celebrate those great moments in your relationship with God. Even the fact that we gather every Sunday, the fact that we are here. I'm, I'm at the Bethany Church facility. Uh, you are the church, but we're in the building right now. It's, it is actually Sunday morning and we're gathered. Why do we gather on Sunday? Because it celebrates the win that Jesus rose from the grave on a Sunday morning and we celebrate that. It's the Lord's day. That's why we call it that. He won over the hell and the grave. Look, I'm going to invite worship team to come back because you guys got one more song for us. And uh, look, we all want the shutdown, uh, to end, uh, soon, uh, now, some of you just kind of want to hold on a little longer. Look, you want to get back to work. You want to get back to school. Although not everybody. I talked to some students the other day who said they were quite enjoying not being in school. You know what I mean. You want to get back to church. Uh, you want to get back to visit your parent or your grandparent, right, in the in the nursing home. You want to get back to your softball team. You, you want to get back to the gym. You want to get back to your hairdresser. Some of you really need to get back to your hairdresser, um, right? But in this time of crisis... Listen, you can make a difference. Don't just, don't just ride this out. Don't miss the opportunities that are before us to make a difference. In your own, I want you to ask yourself this question. This would be the question of the day. In my own time of crisis, where can I make a difference? Where is God leading me to make a difference right now? In this and in beyond this. You can be humble like Mordecai. You can be bold like Esther. You know, you, you can know for whom you stand. You, you can make no compromise. You can remember the wins. You can make a difference. Lastly, I just want to remind you, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, if you've never come to that place of saying, Jesus, I surrender all. I am yours. It's so easy. It's so difficult. It's, it's so straightforward. It's not, it's not difficult. It's straightforward. But it's a personal decision. Nobody can make this decision for you. God loves you, created you to know him. We all sin, which separates us from God. God's made the way. It's the only way we see that God reaches to us through Jesus Christ. God has made a way for us to have a relationship with him, but it's your own decision. We talk about it as the ABCs around here. It's an easy way to remember or to share with someone else how to begin to follow Jesus. A is to admit, admit I'm a sinner. I need saving. B is to believe, to, to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for my sin and he rose again. And, and C is to commit, to commit my life 
to follow Jesus as the Lord and leader of my life all my days. If you're ready to, to make that decision today or if you've made it recently, I would love for you to let us know. Maybe you're wondering how to do that. It's not difficult. You could pray. In fact, I'm going to pray a simple prayer just following the ABC right now. You can pray it right along with me, right where you're sitting or standing today. Just to say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner and I need saving. I believe that you're the son of God, that you died for my sin and you rose again. And Jesus, I commit to follow you as the leader of my life for all my days. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, welcome to the family of God. You're a child of God. You've been adopted into the family. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love to know more.